Yeah, hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast. I'm your host James Copley, joined by Mark Donnelly today. How are you doing, Mark? All right. Yeah, not too bad. Not no, too bad. No Richard Manier because he's stuck in the office dealing with the coronavirus news outbreak and all of the fun that entails. But thankfully, we're both feeling all right today. What wasn't all right was Sunderland's performance at Gillingham. Um, sorry, at the Stadium of Light against Gillingham. That we'll quickly touch on. Mark, how did you see uh, the two-two draw? Mikel Mandron, excellent player. Coming back to bite Sunderland. Yeah, for a long period it looked to be another one of those games like uh, Tramir away is the example that instantly springs to mind when Sunderland weren't really at it, weren't playing their best free-flowing stuff, but they were going to get three points out of it. Thanks uh, in part largely to, to Kyle Lafferty, who I'm sure we'll touch on more later, but he had a you know a brilliant full debut, a great header from Denver Hume's cross and then took his second goal really well. Watching it back probably is slightly offside. Um, so maybe when you consider that a draw was a fair result, but it, it looked to be that Sunderland were, were clinging on, getting those three points. There, there were warning signs in the second half, particularly John McLaughlin had to make a couple of good saves. They got cut open far too easily on a couple of occasions. And then, as you say, Mikael Mandron scores a, a really, really good goal late on and takes um, takes two points away, which, when you look at Gillingham's form, maybe isn't the worst result in the world because they, I think they've only lost once in the last 19 games or something. So they're, they're on a really, really good run of form. Steve Evans... For all you think of him as a man, has, has got the team playing really, really good football. But it's a result that, coupled with the last few weeks in League One, paints a, a bit of a picture for Sunderland and, and it shows a little bit of a, a regression from that football we were seeing in, in January, February, uh, when Sunderland were flying. And, and this kind of dip is really, really coming at the wrong time. Absolutely. And we. Uh... We'll not dwell on the Gillingham game too much, but as you say, Carl Lafferty pitched number two goals. A nice through ball from Dobson. Obviously, you mentioned he may have been slightly offside, but end of the day, there's no VAR in this uh, in this league, thankfully. So that doesn't matter. How did you um, how did you rate big Carl Lafferty's performance? Yeah, and on those decisions, they will cancel each other out because you look at the, the goal that someone had chalked off at Gillingham uh, that Charlie White scored. Mm. Um, maybe shouldn't have been, but I thought Carl Lafferty led the line really, really well. Um, First half was quite frustrating for him because he, he didn't see a huge deal of the ball. Sunderland weren't particularly great in the first half. Didn't particularly get the balls into the box that they have been doing in recent weeks. But I think what was really pleasing from Kyle Lafferty, and, and I mentioned it on Tuesday night at the game because no one was really doing it for Sunderland, but what was pleasing was he showed that desire to get on the end of that cross for the first goal. And I asked him after the game which his favourite was. He said the second. But I think for me, watching them back, the first goal is a really, really good goal because we've seen a lot of times in recent weeks Sunderland put those deliveries into the box, particularly from Denver Hume where they've either gone in the air or along the floor. No one's really been attacking them. Um, Kyle Lafferty did. You know, he really threw himself at that ball, got a good bit of uh, power behind it and it was a really good header. Um, so I, th- I think he had a really good performance. But then the disappointing thing was that we then kind of saw the other side of him on Tuesday night at Bristol Rovers where you know he was hooked at half-time. I think Phil Parkinson was spot on in that because he, he was going to get get himself sent off. But there's plenty to take from that Gillingham game, positives-wise, for Kyle Lafferty to show that he will be a key player in, in the next few weeks. Um, and obviously, he's playing for his future. He wants to say at the football club he's got to show why he should get a deal, whatever division Sunderland will be in next year. So it'll be interesting to see, particularly, I think, at Blackpool on Saturday, what Phil Parkinson does. Does he keep faith with Lafferty? Does he bring White back? Does he play both of them? I, I think... It'll be weighing that up after the the results of the last few weeks, so it, it'll be a really intriguing one to watch. For sure, for sure. And on Tuesday night, Sunderland headed down to Bristol Rovers in League One. They lost 2-0, two goals from Johnson, Clark Harris won a penalty. Just the six shots on target for Sunderland, dominated possession. 
had more passes, more pass accuracy, but couldn't convert that into the win. Mark, you went down. What what was the what was the mood in down, down in Bristol? Um, don't think I can use the words I'd like to on this family friendly <laughs> podcast. Of course, um, it was. It, it was very, very grim post-match. I mean, it, it reminded me a little bit of when we went to Scunthorpe in the checker trade, com. Mm. sorry, yeah, earlier in the year. Um, it was really, really bad. And I think the worrying thing, as you mentioned, the shot on t- shots on target there, two shots on target all game, neither of which really forced the keeper into a save. It was really concerning, a really, really bad evening. Bristol Rovers weren't great. Mm. They really weren't great, but they were better than Sunderland, and that should be ringing alarm bells. Um, You can look at the goals. The first goal, I think Luke O'Neill can do better. I think he gets brushed off the ball a little bit by Johnson Clark-Harris, but there's an argument that the ball should have never got into the box in a position for it to be crossed. It could have been stopped a lot earlier. The penalty, I think, you know, was a penalty. Um, You know, there was no real protest from Sunderland. And again, there'll be arguments that John McLaughlin maybe could have got something more to it. But I feel like that maybe was a result that's been coming. I think when you look back at, at the data, and I wrote a little bit about it yesterday, that Sunderland's lack of chances hasn't been a new thing. You mm. look back at a lot of the games they've played since the turn of the year, they've not created a lot of chances. They've scored some goals from set pieces or they've been able to rely on their defence, but they're not going to be able to do that for the rest of the season. They need to start creating more chances and putting more chances away. And it wasn't like at Bristol Rovers we saw them spurn a load of chances. It wasn't like they were wasteful in front of goal. They simply weren't creating enough anything. They would just look bereft of ideas. And I think back to that Doncaster game that I think you you watched as well, the the 0-0 draw on the Friday night. Mm. And that was the first time after Phil Partington's kind of change in shape and they got on that good run of results that I thought, oh, teams figured them out here. And now we're seeing teams figure them out every week. Yep. They're becoming a little bit maybe predictable. Teams have, have got that blueprint now of if we put men behind the ball, Sunderland aren't intelligent enough, creative enough, crafty enough, whatever phrase you want to use, to play through us. Um, a lot of how Sunderland are playing relies on finding that space out wide and in behind. But they're just not creative enough to to find their way through teams when they, for want of a better phrase, part the bus. And then that leaves you a bit vulnerable at the back, especially with how Sunderland play with their two wing-backs getting forward. Teams can exploit the space out wide in between the three centre-halves, which Bristol Rovers did really well for their first goal. And I think teams are figuring out how to play against Sunderland a little bit now, and I think that Bristol Rovers game, more than any, showed that. Football teams and football formations, you know, winning teams and winning formations, they, they tend to evolve as time goes on. They tend to pick up different things, different caveats to the game, and they tend to be tweaked as well. Is it fair to say that maybe... Phil Parkinson's idea which worked very well initially and obviously went on a, a brilliant unbeaten run four points off Doncaster Rovers and, and other promotion rivals and, and beaten Wickham Blunt teams away at the Stadium of Light it's it's hard to say that you know Phil Parkinson should have seen this trend and, and maybe moved to address it before when Sunderland were playing so well but as you say there were warning signs is it, is it maybe a case that Parkinson's maybe just been a little too stubborn and loyal? Perhaps I think I think with Phil Partinson and to his credit, he's a very very methodical manager. He believes in in the process and the system that he's put in place, um, which is why I think we don't see him making too many changes early on in the game, unless obviously we saw the situation with Carl Lafferty on Tuesday night. He believes in the system that he's got the players in, and I think sometimes as a manager, you're wary that if you start to change things up, kind of on, on off the cuff, uh, on a whim, make a snap decision to change formation, that the players lose faith a little bit. Yeah. 
if you keep doing the same thing, you'll get results. And I think we saw that at the start of his reign. He played this system, didn't necessarily work for the first few games while he was waiting for players to come back. Now they're back, then they were back, went well. They're still back now. We're not getting results. That mitigating factor's kind of gone a little bit. So maybe you will look at changing system, but I, I don't think we will see anything drastic because I think he definitely does trust in that system and trust in the players, which have, you know, on the most part, in Phil Parkinson's defence, delivered good results, taking the last four games and the kind of blip over uh, November, Christmas out of the equation. So I, I don't think we'll see the kind of playbook ripped up or anything like that. I don't think we'll see any major changes, but I would be surprised if there weren't some tweaks or personnel mm-hmm. changes maybe for the, the trip to Blackpool. And it's it's easy to um, understand Sunderland fans' frustrations after... After you know a draw against Fleetwood, a draw against Gillingham, and a loss to Bristol Rovers as well. With all respect to Bristol Rovers, 14th in League One, with Sunderland's fan base and budget and, and history, obviously no God-given right to be beating these teams. But you would expect, given the resources of of the two clubs, that Sunderland would be would be coming away with that with the W. But such as football, but yeah, my, my point is that it's it's quite. You know, acceptable to for Sunderland fans to to be voicing the concern at this run because it is, you know, it's a it's a big blow losing to oh yeah to, to Bristol Rovers. I mean, the fourteenth in League One, huge. And I mean, when you look at the running, the Gillingham and the Bristol Rovers games were two that you would have put down as yeah, yeah. maybe not a guaranteed six points, but you would have certainly hoped you were going to get six points, and you've come mm. away with one. Mm. It's really really worrying, and um, I think you can look at it a couple of ways. I think this break's coming at a good time. I think Sunderland need a bit of time to regroup. But if they lose at Blackpool or don't win at Blackpool on on Saturday, which you know Touchwood they won't, but um, you go into the break on the back of five games without a win, you'd just be desperate for football. Um, but no, I mean it's it's it is a concern for Sunderland fans, and you know it, it is a real worry when two three weeks ago we were talking about top two and potentially even the title, and now mm. Sunderland are seventh. But what that also shows is that League One this year is very very close. And for all Sunderland's uh, results haven't been great. I know they've played more games than people. Other teams around them are going to drop points. Undoubtedly going to drop points in the next few weeks. There's been some surprising results already this season, especially in the last few weeks, and I think we'll see more to come. So I completely understand fans' frustration, um, but I don't think promotion just yet is out of reach. I think it's unlikely, but I don't think it's completely out of the question. Um, But being realistic, you're probably now looking at the playoffs, which... Sunderland fans will be frustrated about because you look where's the improvement from last year, mm. where are the lessons learned from last year. So, yeah, I do completely understand why why that frustration is there. Uh, you still feel there's enough football left for Sunderland to turn things around, but what's concerning as well is that Sunderland have played a game extra than Peterborough, Fleetwood, Portsmouth, Oxford, United, Rotherham, and two games less than Coventry as well, who are all above Sunderland. That those are the six places above Sunderland, and you look at Peterborough United. I've got Ivan Tony. Um, Rotherham have got Ladapo, uh, Coventry have got Gadden, Fleetwood, who, who Fleetwood, Paddy Madden, Paddy yeah. Madden, Oxford United, who they got up Mighty top. Taylor. It Ma- was interesting. Mighty I actually looked uh, looked a little bit at this yesterday. Uh, kind of, if you think of a promotion team, ninety percent of the time they've got someone on whom they can hang their hat yeah, to yeah. score. Mm-hmm. Of the top eight, I think there's only Wickham with Akin Fenwa who scored ten, who've got a player that has scored. Kind of less than Sunderland's top scorer, who uh, Gooch and Maguire have got ten apiece. Yep. Everyone else has got a player who's scored more than ten. I think Pompey's is, a, is eleven. Ronan Curtis. Sunderland just don't have that. Yeah. They really don't. And and can can you name a side historically, other than maybe Barcelona playing with a false nine that haven't had a striker who is 
an out and out striker who have gone up or won something or challenged for honours that isn't scoring, you know, fifteen plus goals. No, no, you can't. I mean, and the, the kind mean, of there might be one from history that somebody will point out. But yeah, there the will there will undoubtedly them. be some teams. But if you're looking generally as a kind of holistic view, yeah, teams have a goal scorer, and, and Sunderland don't have that. And you can point to the fact that yeah, it's great. Gooch and Maguire have got ten each when they're not out and out strikers. But Ivan Tony's got more than them combined. Yeah, on his own. Um, of course, those players don't come cheap, and um, Peterborough. Don't want to say stumbled onto a gem because I'm sure they'd have done plenty of scouting, but yeah, yeah, did very, very, very well to get Ivan Tony well. for the money they did mm. uh, in this league, and I'm no doubt they'll make a huge, huge profit on him when he inevitably moves on at some point. But yeah, that that is a real concern for Sunderland, and a, a real concern as well is they've just still not got that. I don't want to say number ten because they're not really playing with a number ten, but they've not got that player that's going to carve teams open, that's going to create something. And we spoke about this this time last year that Sunderland didn't have a particularly creative player someone who you felt could bring that moment of magic out on a regular basis Chris Maguire has done it Lyndon Gooch has done it they look jaded now at the moment but they do both look tired it was interesting obviously to see Gooch drop out uh, the starting 11 on on Tuesday night uh, which I know was one that the supporters had called for because he does look a little bit jaded Chris Maguire did on on Tuesday night and indeed I think against Gillingham on Saturday and that's where I say the break will come in good because I think they probably do need a bit of a break because they've pretty much been ever present since since mm-hmm. Christmas. But yeah, Sunderland, you look at teams that have um, historically done well, and and they've got those um, they've got those creative players, and they've got those um, number nines that will put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, I remember going in Sunderland's final year in the Premier League, going to Swansea. Mm. Um, and Swansea beat Sunderland three 0 and I remember saying because they were both in relegation trouble at the time that I thought Swansea would stay up purely because oh, I was they had. There, actually, I was I was at Swansea Uni at the time. I was in the away end. Yeah, purely because they had Gilfie Sigurdsson yeah. and Fernando Llorente. Yeah. And the season before, I think Sunderland had won their four two. I was at that game as well. We had you know Defoe front who was really in form, who was absolutely killing it. Yeah, still had Defoe, but obviously the team yeah. dipped a bit by them. So that, that that's a struggling team, but they had a number ten and a number nine that were going to yeah. create mm-hmm. and score chances. And Sunderland uh, uh, don't hugely have that at the moment I understand the the logic between spreading the goals out and things um, but it is it is a bit of a worry that they've not got that player that you feel um, is going to sit the ball in the back, back of the net every week for sure one change I would like to talk about is Scowen came in that's a, that's a change that's been um, heavily mooted by Sunderland fans over the past couple of weeks he came in for George Dobson how did you rate his, his first start in a, in a Sunderland shirt I think he did well. Um, it was a you know it's a difficult game to judge him on given the result and his performance will fall by the wayside a little bit and, and rightfully so after a result like that. But I thought he did well. He made one really really good interception in the first half that stopped near enough a certain goal. Um, he just went about his business. He was uh, tenacious. Mm. He was closing people down. He was kind of in the right place at the right time a lot of times to stop attacks. You can see why he's kind of got the nickname the Rat because uh, <laughs> having now watched him for ninety minutes, I can see see that. I thought it was a really promising debut and I'd be surprised if he dropped out the team on uh, Saturday at Blackpool. It was interesting, actually, we were talking pre-match about the referee at Bristol Rovers and the number of yellow cards he'd given out, which we saw plenty of on Tuesday night as well. And I think that was a a factor in Phil Parkinson's decision with George Dobson obviously selling his nine yellow cards. He was a bit card-happy, Charles Breakspear, the referee. So I think that was a factor in the decision to make the change. How many? How George Dobson's on ten. George Dobson's on nine, and one more would have given him the two-game ban. So Mm -hmm. I think that was a factor in bringing Josh Cowan in. But I think he performed very, very well, and I think that place now is is for Blackpool at the very least, probably his. Yeah, and just to move on to Blackpool, Sunderland travel uh, 
on Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. Um, obviously, they lost. Uh, who did they lose to? Blackpool. Tranmere. Tranmere. Yeah, Neil Critchley. Sorry, the ex-Liverpool under-23 boss, in his first home game at Bloomfield Road. Not getting off to the most ideal start, but he's an excellent coach, and he'll, he'll likely have Blackpool bag up for this one. Yeah, definitely. And I, I listened to his post-match interview after the game on Tuesday, and I think he was holding his hands up, admitting he'd got a few things ta- tactically wrong at the start. I think they switched to a four-four-two mm. in the second half of the game when they were trailing, pulled one back, and performed much better. So, be interesting to see if he sticks with that against Sunderland. He's a, he's a very bright young coach as well. Yeah, I mean, he is. Hand picked by the FA to to go on this year way for course, and Jurgen Klopp really rates him. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that translate translates to League One. I, I saw some of his comments that he was. Um, um, lamenting Tranmere's gamesmanship and I kind of had a wry smile and thought welcome yeah. to League One yeah welcome to League One <laughs> he's not even had the referees yet yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting because the lower leagues have kind of swallowed up coaches like him and spat them out before I remember Dan McKeechee went to MK Dons a few years ago who was a really I think it was England under 15 coach mm. really highly rated within the FA and I think he only lasted a matter of weeks mm-hmm. I hope he does well because he seems a very good coach Blackpool, for all their results of late, have been really, really poor. I've yeah, got a good yeah. team. They've got Nangela, probably talked about strikers. You know, you've got Nangela, you've got Gary Medine. Um, yeah. The lad who scored Tuesday night, Keenan Dewsbury Hall, who scored against Sunderland for Leicester earlier in the season, I think is a fantastic central midfield player. Mm. And it's someone I would have liked to see Sunderland sign in, in January. Um, so they've got a good squad. Um, they're certainly not going to be any pushovers, but you've got to look at it as a game now that Sunderland have to go there and win. Yeah. As I said earlier, you can't go into the back of uh, can't go into this break on the back of another draw or defeat. It needs to be a win. They need to keep that pressure on because the reality is, over this two three week, if Southend gets called off break, Sunderland could drop further down the table. Yeah, um, as teams start to play games and and catch up on numbers and things like that. So it's a it's a must win as far as I'm concerned. But it'll be interesting to see what Blackpool are like now. They've had a little bit more time under Neil Critchley. Yeah, for sure. Just looking at the remainder of Sunderland's fixtures as well. Obviously, Blackpool away on Saturday. Southend away, which you mentioned as well. Sunderland need, still need to play Shrewsbury at home. Wimbledon away. Peterborough at home, which is a, a tough game. Burton away again. Another tough game. I don't think Sunderland have beaten Burton since they've been in the third tier. Accrington Stanley at home. And then the f- season finishes away to Rotherham. Yeah, I mean, no one's really, uh, everyone's rightfully focusing on those Peterborough and Rotherham fixtures as the two key ones. Yeah, but we need to win the other ones to be in with a shot. Exactly, and I think Burton's one that's gone under the radar a little bit, because as you say, Sunderland have notoriously, since that infamous Chris Coleman fist pump <laughs> yeah, game, yeah. struggled against Halcyon Burton. days, those were. They were. Um, Netflix gold. <laughs> but they've, they've really struggled against Burton, and I think Burton are a team that are underachieving in this league. I think they've got some good players. Um Maybe again, just lacking that number nine, especially now Liam Boyce has left. Um, so I think that'll be a tough game. It is a favourable running mm. compared to some other teams, but as you say, the Peterborough, Rotherham, Burton games are completely irrelevant if something don't beat Shrewsbury, Accrington, Wimbledon. Yep. They've got to got to go and win those games. Eight games left. Eight wins would probably put you in a very very good po- uh, place. Even six wins and a couple of draws would put yeah. you in a in a good place but it's not leaving uh, much room for uh, conjecture and wiggle is it no there's not there's not any kind of margin for error at the moment mm. uh, and it was the same really last year wasn't it yeah, when they yeah. were chasing the top two so it's going to be a really intriguing end to the season but as I mentioned earlier I think other teams will drop points I think it's that kind of league this year uh, no one's really running away with it 
Coventry, to their credit, are going very, very quietly about their business. Yeah, and they've done marvellously considering the stadium problems and, and Mark yeah, Robbins considering all the off-field things. Credit. I think Mark Robbins deserves a, a great deal of credit, and he's assembled a very, very good squad there. And, on. and they weren't. Um, I don't remember them being talked about, you know, as much as other teams at the beginning of the no, season. No, at the start of the season, it was Ipswich, Sunderland, Portsmouth, really, yeah. um, and potentially Peterborough. Mm-hmm. So I think they've done very well, and I would be shocked if they weren't in the top two. Yeah, I think second place is still wide open. Rotherham are having a little bit of a blip. Oxford are bang back on form having dropped a few points late. Well. Portsmouth are just chugging along Fleetwood Fleetwood are up there yeah, yeah, yeah. say what you like about Joey Barton but they're up there um, but all everyone's quite bunched together mm. a couple of bad results as we've seen with Sunderland you can drop down a couple of good results you can lift straight back up yeah, so it's going to be a really really interesting watch at the end of the season eight games left um, all to play for how many points do you see Sunderland getting and where will they finish? Just to put you on the spot nicely. Oh, you put me right on the spot there. <laughs> um, as optimistic as I, I like to be, especially given I've now booked a holiday for the week after the playoff final, thinking, <laughs> thinking automatics were nailed on. Um, I, I, I think top two maybe now is, is out of reach. Um, obviously, mathematically, it's not. But I think when you look at the other teams, the form they're on, the games left, I think top two probably is a little bit too far for Sunderland. I think... I think the best you could hope for really would be if you can finish fourth, get the first leg at home, as we did last season. That would be ideal. Um, you just want to get in the top six. If you can get in the top six, get a favourable. I say favourable. Fleetwood in the, in the playoff semis would be. Well, I can't uh, be deal with another week of Joey Barton. I say a favourable game. I don't. There's going to be any game in the playoffs that you look at and think, oh yeah, we'd rather have them. Last year, you maybe looked at Doncaster and thought, oh yeah, we'd, we'd take them. Um, this year, I don't think there's anyone that you wouldn't wouldn't um, so that you would kind of fancy playing. You'd be worried about everyone. So I think maybe if they can take six wins, yeah, get in the playoffs and see where that takes them. And of course, this could all prove to be arbitrary. That we are in the midst of a pandemic. Of course, um, there's pieces on the Sun and Echo website which will keep you up to date with all of the latest uh, coronavirus stuff. Uh, just a quick recap, though, the government is possibly set to move to the delay stage in its action plan to deal with the spread of the virus. And the National Press are reporting this morning that Premier League and Football League games in England could go behind closed doors in a bid to ensure that the season is completed. So please, yeah, um, stay safe out there, wash your hands and all that jazz, and uh, keep up to date with all of the latest coronavirus and how it's affecting football as well on the Sunderland Echo website. That was a, a short but sweet pod, Mark. Thank you for, um, thank no you for joining us. No problem at all. find us in all of the usual podcast places and we're all across social media. Thanks to the University of Sunderland for having us. Uh, thank you for listening to The Road.